All right, we are rolling now, counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, and experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. I stop doing murder. Get away Ooh. from my wife. That's my, that's my John <laughs> Luther. I clearly, you could tell I watched the show. Yeah, I can tell. Um, because there's so much like layered and intricateness to your reenactment of John Luther. It's, it's almost like I'm doing the show with Idris Elba right now. Oi! I gotta deal with my personal feelings whilst hunting a serial murderer. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, Idris, Idris, what did it feel like <laughs> to be in in Thor? Idris, oh, why did I kill you off? Wait, wait, Idris, Idris, when are you gonna be Bond? Oh wow, didn't like the contact lenses. Did not. It, it sounds it's like Ray Winstone. It's more of a Ray Winstone now that I'm now that I'm <laughs> taking a step back and really examining my work on this one. But I feel uh, like I captured the spirit of the thing. I mean, I agree. I could have dealt with a little bit more like side mouth talking, like <laughs> like yeah. But you 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 got it. I liked it. If you haven't realized by now, uh, we are going to be talking about Luther, season one, or as they call it across the pond, series one. Uh, we decided to keep it short and sweet in case you wanted to, to catch up before you listen to our discussion about it. There are five seasons in total, and they're all very short seasons. Uh, ranging from six, which is the most, which is season one. And then we have two four-episode seasons, one two-episode season, and then I believe another four-episode season. So you you can catch up so fast. It's on uh, HBO Max, uh, probably also HBO Go and HBO Now and all those things, even though they're all one thing now. It's on... Uh hulu also which is where oh yeah it's on hulu but you got to deal with ads if you don't have the super special expensive account uh so which by the by the way yes i i did not watch it with ads because i have the super fancy expensive well i'm a high roller you oh how do you walk around in those fancy pants i'm one of those uh one percenters who has ad free damn well you you know millennials if they weren't spending all their money on ad free hulu they 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 could be living in houses right now oh (laughs) man it's it's ad free hulu and uh, avocado toast. Oh, these millennials <laughs> so, don't know how to manage their money. <laughs> Why aren't they millionaires by now? All right. Well, this character is, is uh, I hate him. So <laughs> I'm going to uh, move into pitching this. Okay, do it. So I recommended this. As you know, we are doing Cinema Lit 101. Which is... Uh, alternate or modern or different retellings of classic literature. And I chose this, Luther, from the BBC, 
because it is a retelling slash inspired by uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I guess there's also a little bit of uh, Columbo thrown in there, uh-huh. but that's for like modern flavor. And I feel like this is one of my favorite re doings of there are millions and millions of millions of sherlock inspired tv shows movies books audio books things of that sort uh you can you can pick and choose what your sherlock is you can have a sherlock that's a jerk you can have a sherlock that's just a regular dude who loves fancy hats you can have a sherlock who's a doctor and is is just is secretly coded as uh as as sherlock holmes that's that's house um which is another one of my favorites he's a mouse one time yeah he was a mouse one time like you throw a rock you'll find a sherlock redoings but i specifically chose luther because Something I really like about it as a man of color is that, like, this is probably one of the only modern renditions that I can think of that is led by a black man. And I'm I'm glad that they also chose to take away the aspect of, like, he's addicted to drugs. I don't know if you are familiar with Arthur Conan Doyle, but his Sherlock fucking loves opium. And so I'm glad that they made a conscious decision to be like, we can't have this black dude addicted to drugs. This is going to feed people stereotypes. They're going to be like, oh man, black people and drugs. Oh, go hand in hand. Um, and I hate that. And so I'm glad they didn't do it. Right. But also like, I think that Idris Elba really brings this character to life. He's so subtle with his acting. I think the, the mysteries are really well done. Also, they walk the line between ethical and non-ethical in terms of police practices, but we're going to talk about that ACAB shit later. But I also find the dynamic between Luther and his version of his Moriarty to be really interesting as well. And I also feel like this show is very well shot. So I think if you love Sherlock, if you love great cinematography, and if you love a good mystery that you yourself may even be able to solve while you're watching it, then I think you will enjoy this show. Lex, had you seen this before? So I had seen season one, and I actually, I think I may have seen season two of Luther as well, but not since right around the time season two would have been airing. So we're talking maybe 2011 was when I saw it. And I remember liking it a good deal. And I actually remembered more of it than I had realized. But uh, obviously, big fan of Idris Elba. I think when I had first seen this, this was probably the first thing I had seen him in that wasn't The Wire, and maybe I'd maybe seen him in a movie or two. I think I had seen um, The Losers in theaters when that came out. I think that might have been 2010. So I'd seen him, you know, once or twice outside of The Wire, but this was like the first big thing. And this was the first thing that I had ever seen that was a, a story that was completely anchored by his performance. And of course, I mean, we all know now Idris Elba is one of the bigger stars that there is. We all know what he can do. And Again, I had seen him on The Wire where he's absolutely phenomenal. So I had a, a sense, but this was sort of it for me. This was the, oh, okay, this guy this guy can do this. And this guy's probably going to be around forever because he is this endlessly compelling to watch. But I think it's a, it's a character that serves him incredibly, incredibly well. Um, and especially when, you know, like, what am I comparing it to at that time, right? Like, I, outside of the, like, he, Thor, right? Like, where he plays Heimdall, which is, we all know, 
uh, character that absolutely gives Idris Elba uh, enough room to do all of the things that Idris Elba can do and stuff. <laughs> but like, you know, like very, you know, he's very, especially in that first Thor movie, he doesn't get to do very much. He's very stoic and, and a little bit one note. And so to get to see him be this dynamic, to get him, to see him play, you know, he gets to be incredibly charming, but also in, in his sort of single-minded pursuit of, you know, like his brand of justice for these criminals, like he becomes so consumed by it and he becomes driven by this darkness. And you see these flashes of intense, like violent anger from him as well. So you get to see this, this really, really complex, broad character. But then, you know, Tari, like you were just describing, like his relationship with the Alice Morgan character, his relationship with his ex-wife, his relationship with his uh, fellow officers. I mean, there's there's so much there that they can mine from. And I also think they do a really great job balancing sort of the police procedural elements of the story with the character-driven, you know, Luther dealing with his personal issues and whatnot. Uh, but also, I didn't realize uh, until going back and revisiting the show this time that Columbo was, in fact, a pretty significant point of reference for the show, largely in terms of format. Because a lot of the time, you know, and like this is true of some of the, the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle material, but also, you know, the, the most known cliched format for a detective story is the whodunit. It's about figuring out, okay, this crime was committed, we need to take a look at all the evidence and weed out a bunch of suspects and figure out who it was that committed the crime. Whereas the format of Columbo, uh, is uh, sort of an inversion of that, which is uh, we know up top, the audience knows who committed the crime. We're shown how they did it. We're sometimes shown why, we're shown how, and now it is on the detective to catch that criminal. And so the mystery, if you will, the the excitement, the well, what's going to happen next is less about, well, who did it? Because we already know that, but it's more about how is the detective going to go about catching this criminal. And so you have this whole different dynamic than I think we we see all that frequently in a show like this. And I think you get this whole, this it's a different kind of energy. It's a different kind of excitement. And you get to have a different kind of experience with a different kind of detective. That plus well acted across the board. The soundtrack is dope as hell, which is something else I'd forgotten about. Yeah. But in terms of a lot of the things that I like the most about it, it's a little bit a little bit tough to get into without delving a little bit into spoilers. But broadly speaking, yeah, those are my thoughts. And we're only really going to be talking about season one. But I am now, because it's not a long show, like as you said, the, the only five seasons, and they're very short, this being the longest season at six episodes, mm -hmm. uh, I feel as though there's no reason for me not to just watch the remaining 14 episodes of this show and finally uh, get myself caught up because this thing's great. I mean, this is a great show. This is very, very good. I had also now revisiting hadn't realized how many people who are now just like in a bunch of stuff in a bunch of media were on this show. Like, I don't think I knew who any of them were before the first time I had watched the, the show yeah. in that I barely knew who Idris Elba was like I had probably I was watching The Wire and this basically at the same time so it was really disorienting to go back and forth and see him being like right. a Baltimore dude and then him being this like big boisterous British man but also I mean we have Pomagon who if you are a Doctor Who fan he was the eighth doctor I mean if you're a Doctor Who fan you're like ooh he was the eighth doctor <laughs> but I I think you know he got to do some cool stuff for 
for when he was doing it, but he's in this. Indravarma, who, if you are a fan of Game of Thrones or were a fan of Game of Thrones, she was Mother Sand. Ruth Wilson, she's in a bunch of British media. Uh, most recently, she's been doing a lot of American stuff, and so she was in the HBO version of his dark material. Yes. She's great. She's also on uh, The Affair. It was, was a Showtime show, I believe, which I am finally about to go back. Like, well, why say about to? It's on my never ending list of things. I watched season one of that show and it's her and uh, Dominic West, who was uh, McNulty on The Wire, ah. are the two leads uh, of that show. And it's the story, at least the first season is the story of an affair, but uh, you get both versions of the story. You get it from his perspective and you get it from her perspective as well. And first season is great. And I am told that the show goes to some truly, truly, truly bonkers places. But she is, yeah, she's one of the two leads on that and she's phenomenal. Nice. Also, Dermot Crowley, who, I mean, he's just in a bunch of stuff. Like if you watch anything British, he just kind of shows up. So I really like the variety of British actors who would go on from this to do like a bunch of other cool properties i think now was probably a good time to start lowering that spoiler wall oh turning the crank and and last last week we installed dogs so the can't be bribed and so as that's lowering I feel like this is a good opportunity to tell you that you can watch the show if you don't want to be spoiled, uh, as we mentioned, on Hulu or HBO Max. And if you are feeling so inclined, we would love it if you would go on to Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store. I think Google Play is now doing their own podcast app. So, ooh, go on to that. And if you are feeling so inclined, leave us a rating, a review. Help other people find this podcast. Tell people why you love what we do. If you love what we do, just give us them warm and fuzzies. Uh, because we really appreciate it. And as you know, it helps the show grow and all that stuff. That said... We will come back and talk about all them yummy, yummy season one spoilers, how handsome Idris Elba is, ooh, how sexy Ruth Wilson be, <laughs> and them sweet mysteries right after this break. All right, we're back. Woo! Lex, you know what that means. I do. You gotta ch Bust a recap! All right. DCI John Luther, uh, a man who's committed above all else to his job, right? Atari, you talked about you don't like uh, the idea of him being depicted as a substance abuser, a la the original Sherlock Holmes. But in fact, John Luther does have a substance of choice, and it's the job. But he takes that shit to an extreme, right? His methods are, if nothing else, certainly unorthodox. And so months ago, in pursuit of a serial kidnapper slash murderer named Henry Madsen, Luther allows him to fall from a great height, which leaves him not dead, but in a coma with the potential to awaken and uh, paint a very negative picture of John Luther that may uh, cost him dearly. Now, uh, after some time away, Luther is called in to investigate a double homicide, and he investigates the daughter of the murdered couple and comes to suspect that she is, in fact, the murderer of 
her parents that she's in fact a malignant narcissist who's able to conceal her machinations with the the sort of mask, right? Like she's able to mask herself Patrick Bateman style and whatnot to deceive everybody into thinking that she isn't a little murdery murder person, but she is in fact Tari J, a murdery murder person. Ooh. But Luther, despite this, because she's so good at doing and concealing the murdery murderness, uh, he is unable to prove her guilt. But he doesn't forget about her, Tari J. And over the course of the season, they start to form a very interesting relationship where uh, he will be investigating other crimes and she will be sort of traipsing around the periphery of his existence where, uh, A, she begins to insinuate himself into elements of his personal life and B, he begins to discuss to certain extents his casework, his job, his professional pursuits with her because she's got that perspective. She's got that eye. She's like, in a way, not just as Moriarty, but she's almost almost like the Hannibal Lecter to his Will Graham. But so meanwhile, he's got to sort of grapple with his with his personal life and his emotions and his relationship with his uh, his ex-wife Zoe who has uh, left him and is trying to move on with her life. She's uh, in a relationship with this guy Mark who's played by the Eighth Doctor and Luther's having a very difficult time letting go. He's saying, you know, like I'm back. I'm I'm good now, right? Well, like we can be together. We should be together and she's like, "John, no." too committed to the job you're too intense you're too serious you're too drop the dude from the high place and put him in a coma and i can't i can't handle that amount of drop dude from high place and put him in coma john i love you but not (laughs) not like that it can't be that way and he's like oh i hate your door and like punches through her door and stuff but so he he has to figure out a way to compartmentalize that out while he continues to pursue uh, his his uh, his his callers, his his criminals that he's got to take down. So we get a couple of different cases over the course of the season. In one case, uh, there's a sniper that's targeting police officers all over London, and Luther's got to track him down. He's uh, got to hunt down a serial killer who every ten years uh, he like kidnaps mothers and he exsanguinates them, like he, he takes all of their blood out and stuff like that. So while he's uh, you know fighting all this crime. Alice Morgan, insinuating herself into Luther's personal life, sends a, a small little battalion of girls to go beat up Mark, uh, the the boyfriend of his ex-wife. I guess her thinking is that it will humiliate him because he got beat up by a bunch of girls. And Zoe will be like, oh, you got beat up by a bunch of girls. You know who wouldn't get beat up by a bunch of girls? My estranged husband, John Luther. And like she'd be driven back into his arms. And, and Luther's like, that's fucking crazy. That's just fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, the uh, serial kidnapper and murderer that uh, Luther dropped from the very high place, Henry Madsen, awakens from his coma. And he's uh, going to testify uh, as to the events that took place, which will, as mentioned, paint Luther in such a horrific light that it may, in fact, cost him his entire job. But while Luther is uh, investigating his next case, which is about uh, a serial killer who murders women and basically steals their jewelry and presents them to his wife as birthday presents. She doesn't know where they where they came from. She doesn't know that it's murder jewelry. She thinks it's regular uh, run-of-the-mill non-murder jewelry, but is being deceived. So while Luther is investigating this case, Alice sneaks into the hospital and murders Henry Madsen so that he is not able to testify against Luther and ruin his career. So as we close in on the end of the season, we get this big two-part story 
where essentially this art dealer's wife is kidnapped and the kidnappers want a whole bunch of diamonds in exchange for her life. And they say, you know, we're going to kill her. Basically, dude, you got to go get us these diamonds or you are going to uh, be responsible for all of the horrible things that we're about to do to your wife. But the problem is that she has actually eaten the diamonds because that's i don't know that's what rich people do i guess they eat diamonds and so she's <laughs> yeah. got the diamonds <laughs> she's got the diamonds inside of her and of course you know he realizes that if this is revealed then of course the kidnappers are going to to kill her cut her open and get the diamonds but what comes to be revealed is that involved in this scheme in this sort of kidnapping robbery uh, ransom deal involved in this scheme is one Ian Reed, who is Luther's colleague uh, in the police department, but also a friend. And he knew that this was going on and he allowed it to go forward because he wanted to make a little scratch for himself. But now that it's starting to fall apart, now that Luther's getting a little too close to the truth, he's basically having to sort of mop up behind himself and he like kills his, his criminal contact uh, it kills the kidnapper basically so that nobody can tie him to this, but to draw Luther out into the open potentially so that he can kill him as well. He ends up uh, entering the home of Zoe Luther's ex-wife and shooting and killing her framing Luther for her murder. And so Luther ends up having to go on the run. His uh, supervisor, who also does like care for him on a personal level, uh, Rose, basically has to like put, it's like when Commissioner Gordon has to send all the police after Batman and stuff. It's like, oh, I wish I didn't have to. But like, you're not the hero that Gotham uh, deserves. You're the one that, uh -huh. whatever he says in that movie. She feels really bad about it, but it's like, okay, we got to put the resources of the law onto hunting down Luther. It comes to light finally, you know, as, as Mark sort of becomes involved with the investigation, you know, of course, because he was in love with Zoe and Zoe ultimately had chosen not even though even though she had a romantic liaison with her ex-husband and stuff because like he's so handsome. Uh, she had decided ultimately that she couldn't go back to that relationship, go back to that life. Right. And so like he was like, damn, she she chose me and then was taken away. And so he's all crazy, raw and angry and he doesn't know if it was Luther or not. And stuff but the police eventually put the pieces together and they realized that it could in fact be reed that's the culprit in the murder and not luther luther while this is going on while the while the rest of the police are several steps behind him basically puts together his own revenge machination in collaboration with alice and also with mark as well mark essentially functions like bait for reed to pursue into a train station and he subdues Reed, decides that he's not going to kill him, but then uh, he, he is stabbed, right? Reed's like, ah, I got you. Not going to kill me? All right, stab. Look what you made me do. How rude, making me stab you like this and stuff. You're so handsome, and now I have to make your handsomeness go away. <laughs> and, but, like, he's so handsome that, like, he's stabbed, and he's in pain, and he's, like, bleeding on the train platform. It's just, like, so handsome. And that in that moment, Reed knows he's defeated. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, Alice shows up with a shotgun, basically saying like, okay, so Luther said he's not going to kill you, but like, I'll totally kill you. I think I should kill you. And Luther says, nah, maybe don't kill him. Maybe like, we'll do a justice this time. So uh, that's, that's two. That's a, that's a 50% even split in the vote. So Mark, uh, why don't you be the tie breaking vote? And Mark's like, obviously he's super upset. Like clearly this is the man who murdered uh, the woman that he loves and stuff. And then, you know, the dude starts taunting him, goading him. Like he'd been trying to goad Luther into killing him. And it's like, at first you're like, oh, okay, it's probably not going to work, right? Because like, he's a, he's a good dude. Like he and Luther had their issues and stuff, but now like they're coming together and they're going to, it's going to be 
be just unambiguous justice and we're all going to feel great and and not conflicted at all about the way this story resolves and uh so he's starting to goad mark and he's, he's basically talking about like just just lewd acts with with the woman that he that he loved who's now deceased and stuff and mark's just like you know what yeah kill him kill him kill him and stuff and alice blows his chest open with the shotgun and luther's just like ah oh, damn and then they all hear the sirens coming and luther's like ah oh, damn no actually he's not like that he's like oh damn and it and then, yeah yeah uh, the, the season ends he's like <laughs> oh what we do now in it and then yeah. <laughs> he just takes a drink of a pint no one knows where the pint came from but he just takes it just takes a big swig uh it's crazy yeah so much happens in those short six episodes and it's really good about balancing as you had mentioned the overarching story of luther and his wife and his like day-to-day case solving uh so i want to kind of start off with the relationship aspect in that i have issues with this relationship Ooh. With which one? With uh, Luther and Alice or with Luther, his Luther ex-wife? and Zoe. Okay. I mean, not to mention the the fridging of Zoe, which I think is a bummer. Yeah, we're in so we're in spoiler land now. I didn't remember that happening at the end of this season. I thought that was something like they they maybe used as the inciting incident of season two. So I was surprised when it when it came sooner than I was yeah. ready for. And not having seen this in in a long time, like I knew that this was coming at some point, but I hadn't really thought about. Yes, it 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 doesn't break the show for me because I think the show is is very very strong, and we do have thankfully um, uh, some strong female characters left on the show at that point. Yeah. But it felt uh, it did feel yeah a little egregious. It definitely stuck out. Yeah, they had kind of been not necessarily like building to it, like. They they did their best to try to make it mean something and that it happened at the most inopportune time. Um, but I just I also just didn't care for the way that the relationship panned out over the course of the season in that I one I mean, the whole thing with uh, the eighth doctor is that he keeps being like, you're mine. Prove to me you're mine. And, and it's like, my dude, she's still married, bruh. Like you keep trying to get her to get rid of her husband. And you, you started this relationship before she was divorced. So you can't keep demanding that she only be loyal to you. And that she did like, completely cut off the guy she is currently married to like you were your side piece my dude like stop trying to be his main chick right that whole aspect makes it very tenuous i think that it really was just made to make drama in that you have to have an obstacle between the wife and luther getting back together and I think it would have been a little bit more powerful if it wasn't driven by another man. And it was like, specifically, they keep giving it lip service that like the thing that she loves about him is the same thing that drives her away. And I wish that they had really let that show itself in that, like, every time they try to reconcile, he would, in fact, be like so entrenched in a, a case that you know she would be 
vying for, I don't know, attention or something. But even that, like, and I get that marriage is hard and relationships are hard, but this idea that she keeps being like, hey, I know that, I, I know that you love me, but I need you to pay more attention to me instead of solving these murders. I need you to care less about the depravity of the human race and pay more attention to me. Bring me flowers. Stop thinking about rape and murder and and, and, and pedophilia and look at me. (laughs) Uh, Which the actress who played Zoe was really able to sell this character. I think that the character itself was sold short. Yes, I can I can definitely agree with that. But I do, I absolutely agree that it is to the credit of uh, Indra Varma that the, the character still manages to work. Because I think if you had an actress that had even a shred less presence and ability, I think, A, the elements that stand out as problematic, I think would have stood out uh, a great deal more even than they do. And also, I think you'd risk that character just sort of disappearing into the wallpaper. Because there isn't, yeah, with without what she specifically is bringing to it, I, yeah, there's not... I don't think there's a ton there. And what is there is, yeah, it's, 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 it's questionable in that way. But I guess we, this is a good segue into the relationship I think is the most interesting, which everyone believes is the most interesting, uh, which is Luther and Alice. Um, I like that they, you, you spend the first episode basically with their meat cute, um, you know, like, cause he's trying to prove that she murdered her parents. And I really find it interesting that essentially every time that he's like here's some evidence they're like it'll never hold up and he's like it's evidence and here here's probable cause and they're like i don't know luther he's like which is like what all these propaganda shows do where they're like Oh, we would solve so many crimes if if it wasn't for protocol. Right, like the ends justify the means regardless of what those means happen to be. Yeah, but I also like, I think the dynamic between the two of them is because they both share this darkness and have to kind of hide it or like try to do other things so that it doesn't so that they fit into normal society yes whatever normal society means to you and i also like the idea that i assume uh the the creator neil cross was like all right what if we had a moriarty that sherlock wanted to fuck and (laughs) so they basically merged moriarty and irene adler and we're like ooh, this is your intellectual equal but also you want them loins baby <laughs> yes very much like batman and the joker in that way. yeah and i think that like they with the theming of the the show it's this idea that uh and this is was also kind of why i figured that indra's character wasn't long for this world is that the idea of the Morgan character is that she effectively accepts John for who he is, darkness and all. Whereas like the contrast being his wife who saw that, that darkness and shied away. Right. And so like, they're really trying to play those two things against each other. Both of them have their issues, you know, like, uh, 
Morgan's, uh, she's a murderer and she doesn't understand what like doing a good deed means, which <laughs> I find entertaining because I, I really like chaotic evil characters that try to do nice things okay. because their skewed view of what nice means. It's like, oh, well, this is what you want. So I'll get you that thing. But like the way they do it is always chaotic and, and, and skewed. And I love that. Right. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> I am a fan. I mean, obviously, yes, a, a big fan of this relationship and a big fan of, of pretty much every single thing that Ruth Wilson is doing on this show. But something that I like very much on paper and and this isn't necessarily a criticism but it's something that i feel like if they were so inclined they could have taken further in this season especially the way that they you know resolve slash not resolve the storyline um in the finale they could have explored this a little bit more were they so inclined and and that is this idea that there are sort of two sides to john luther right like there is the man that zoe presumably fell in love with who is a good cop but like a strong loyal passionate caring man who wants to do the right thing like does the work because this is the right just important thing to do but then you also have this other side to luther who's you know the luther that let Henry Madsen drop, you know, uh, he thought maybe to his death and stuff, or the guy who, you know, has these sudden violent outbursts of rage, or the guy who at the end of the season is the guy who kind of formulates this revenge plan that's pretty, you know, pretty clever and pretty insidious and pretty, I mean, something clear, like it's like an Alice Morgan type plan, like he is capable of that. And that's what Alice sees in him, right? So, uh, and that's what she's drawn to. Like, that's what she and her own weird, it's not love exactly. It's more like a, a fascination or a, a, an infatuation. But what's drawing her to Luther as well. And so this idea that he's got this relationship with Alice and this relationship with Zoe. And each relationship represents a different side, a different sort of, uh, uh, you know, a different part of that duality. And at the end of this story, or at least the end of the season, you lose one relationship completely like Zoe in being fridged essentially is now not there and you, you see the potential for it to push Luther all the way over into the dark and I feel like that's where they could have gone a little bit further than they did because like to me it's never really in doubt that Luther is going to sort of choose the light as it were at the end yeah and I feel like you could have leaned even further into the idea of that duality and that, you know, as goes Zoe, so goes that part of John himself, which they didn't they didn't choose to kind of labor that point too much. And, and you know, clearly it, it all worked out for the best regardless. Right. But uh, I think it's interesting, like putting the, the juxtaposition of those two relationships and how. Uh, the writing reveals different aspects of the Luther character through those two relationships. And you see him through the eyes of these women. And I think that's all very, very nicely done. Yeah. I mean, I think that like that criticism or that like commentary kind of goes back to this idea of the inclusion of the Paul McGon character in that if he wasn't there, then it would have been those two basically being the devil and, and and angel on John's shoulder, it could have ended up being that it was Zoe and Alice in that final uh, showdown and him having to choose which side. And I think that would have been a really interesting way to illustrate that point, not to like rewrite the season or anything, but like, I think that would have been a really 
cool, interesting way of elevating that thesis. Yeah, and I do, I mean, look, we can also talk about, too, You, they could have, if they were so inclined, they could have done a little bit more with the Mark character in terms of, like, I think it's a very compelling idea to put a character like Luther in a situation where, you know, ordinarily we would be rooting for this character to get back with his wife, right? Like on, on, in just about any cop story that we've ever heard, what we want to see happen is we eventually want to see Zoe relent because in the universe of the show, like, of course, these characters belong together. And despite his volatility, he's a good man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a there's a there's some messaging baked into that that is, um, let's say, a little questionable. And I do think it could have been really, really interesting. And and some of this is there. You know, it's just this is not what the show is is necessarily uh, prioritizing. It's not what they're choosing to focus on primarily. But this idea of Mark's presence forcing a character like John Luther to process through the dissolution of his relationship and eventually come to a place of acceptance that he needs to love and respect his wife enough to let her go and live her life. Um, and I think like that could have been really interesting. I think that could have been really compelling, really powerful and like an, an, a really interesting message for a story like this. Uh, they, they don't yeah. do that. I'm not necessarily going to like criticize them too heavily for not doing it because they do so many other things very, very well with that real estate. But it is something that the right. entire season was was sticking out to me as like, oh, that's a really compelling idea because we don't usually see that kind of relationship arc for a character like this on a show like this. And they they didn't go there. But that seemed like something that was there to be mined if they if they were so inclined. Kind of uh, piggybacking off of Luther's arc, which he doesn't have this specific arc in the first season, and maybe he never does. But like as you had mentioned, instead of being addicted to opiates, he's addicted to breaking the law. And so uh, this is a cop character who, it, like, they paint his passion for for justice as his only driving force and he's willing to do anything to to get it done and his his career doesn't matter only thing that matters is getting the bad guy um and i think that uh be before i got so fucking woke um i would have been like yeah like i get it you know bad guys need to, to do bads um, but also, like, now that I understand how propaganda works, right. I it now sticks out to me as this thing where, like, especially the lengths to which he will go on a hunch where he's like, all right, well, I mean, I assume that this person is guilty. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to frame him. Uh, and once he knows that I'm framing him, then, like, I'll catch him and stuff. Uh, and they are like, hey, this isn't going to hold up in court. And he's like, I don't care as long as I put the put the cuffs on him. Ooh, co court schmort. <laughs> get him in cuffs. I'll kill him if I have to. Um, and I don't I don't like it because it it's rough, man. Sometimes it's really rough to watch. Like the moment he had the standoff with his version of Watson which is DSU. No. Yes. I think it's DS. All the, all the titles make no sense to me, but 
yes, Detective Sergeant Justin Ripley, okay. yes. who is his version of Watson, basically, because he's like showing him the ropes and and will talk through stuff with him when he, he had his face off with that character where the character was like, look, like there's a dead body. We got to like call this in. And he's like, no, I got to do. Um, now you got me doing it. Um, Luther is essentially telling him that he is going to withhold this information to try to get the bad guy. And like, by the time that he sets up his frame job, like the bad guy is like, yo, like this isn't going to work. And he like gives himself up and we never, go back and find out if it worked because no one cares. He got, he, <laughs> he got him. He put it, put the cuffs on, which I wasn't a fan of. And I, I, I guess it happens twice, which I think is what made it stick out in that the second time was how we never got a real resolution to the diamond case in that we had the Americans who came in and they were like, we're going to bring our guns and we're going to take these diamonds. And like, you know, they were working with the Reed character and then their leader gets shot in the face. And then we never talk about that because now it's a, a manhunt for Luther. Right. That was still an unsolved case. And now it's tainted. And like, there's all these issues. Like, I guess if this was law and order, they'd be like, you know, one of the DAs would come in and be like, we gotta, we gotta get some evidence. Woo. But this isn't law and order and it's all about them cops. But like, I just uh, wish there was a little bit more of a, like a, just even like an offhand resolution, just someone who walks through the scene and is like, man, I can't believe we solved that diamond case and two people high five or, or they're like, oh man, uh, that guy went to jail. Woo. Uh, good for him. <laughs> I do think, I guess as an extension of your point, it's, uh, I suppose, somewhat telling or indicative of, of a grander truth, if you will, that Luther's big come to Jesus moment in the finale essentially boils down to, you know what? Maybe I won't revenge murder a suspect i have detained <laughs> yeah i don't know i feel like that is telling of what who is to say certainly not i but i do feel it is indicative of um uh long ellipses something i mean yes if you're if you're looking for an arc it's a small arc in that he started the season willing to let a person plunge to their death and this time he wants them to do jail but like but it's harder to justify that in that the way that alice described it was that he wanted him to go to jail so he could suffer humiliation and he's like yeah she's like you know he wants you to get beat up he wants you to get raped he wants you to get all the injustices of jail and i think it's better to just murk you and I was like, both of those are bad <laughs> options. Like, this is like, I know that this guy personally hurt you, but like, these are terrible things to wish on uh, someone. Like, come uh, on. <laughs> and also not for nothing. He has this moment and you can, like, like you were saying, you can argue that it's maybe not the biggest character arc that you could have given him, but he makes a choice. And you get the purpose of the choice and the implications of the choice. And then the show immediately undercuts that choice and makes it so that that choice doesn't matter at all, which I actually think is yeah. really interesting. But 
I don't not remembering anything about season two. I don't know if they then do anything interesting with that choice in particular, because if that's intentional, then you can really play with that. Like, oh, I made a choice that I thought was the correct choice and it ended up not making any difference at all. If somebody's sort of teetering on the edge of darkness, that that can be really compelling and, and something really cool to play with. I if they do that yeah. right now, it feels a little bit like, oh, well, you you really sort of undercut your pivot there a little bit, a little bit, but also it's such a great moment. Oh yeah. You know, like it's still, it still manages to work. Like if it sounds like I don't like it, then let me, let me clarify. No, I think it still works great in the show. It's just hard for me not to think about, you know, like where they could have uh, zagged instead of zigging. Right. Like nothing that we're saying, or I'll only speak for myself. Nothing that I'm saying is like a, a hard, criticism i'm basically live writing fan fiction and and like also i'm looking at it through a lens that is at least 10 years or almost 10 years separated from its creation and so i have an additional lens in which to to look back at it so i can't really hold it to like current standards like i'm also a guy who likes brooklyn 99 and that's propaganda is fuck right just to to make that clear but yeah i don't know i think the only other thing that i would say about the show in general with my as as our friend david put it my woke hat on is that i think it's really interesting that luther as a very big tall like standout black dude it's never really acknowledged in the show. And I think that's really interesting though. I will say that like the one time I think the subtext really kind of acknowledges it, or at least the way I read it because I I have my hat on um, is in those last two episodes where they're hunting down Luther and you're like, well, I mean, they were so quick not to believe in him while this dude who is probably has the same tenure but happens to be white is like nah he's that guy's crazy and they're like yeah we'll fucking fucking kill this animal he's an animal now ooh he was on our side now he's a he's a he's a garbage animal he's a, he's a rabid dog and you're like okay right yeah but other than that like i guess i'm of two minds in that, like, the show doesn't need to be about him being a lead black detective in Britain. It's about the mysteries and all that stuff. And so I guess, in a way, I also like that it's not about that. And they just allow him to be a black detective. And, and no one's like, oh, look at you, Darky, doing doing all your dark, <laughs> dark stuff. Um, so that's nice. But it also kind of, you know ignores a a reality for that character which i find to be interesting i assume it's because it was written by a white person who doesn't like have that life experience and so like they would never think to do that and i don't hold that against them i just think it's an interesting observation well and i do think it's interesting too that the two big points of reference um that that neil cross was pulling from are also white characters like iconic white 
characters. Speaking of which, one of the big thoughts that I was having, and it, I don't think it would have occurred to me if I hadn't read the little bit about how Columbo was a big point of reference uh, for the show as well. But so Columbo was played by uh, Peter Falk. It's amazing. I'm like now, you know, people are more people are watching Columbo again because I think relatively very recently it finally all became available to stream. But Columbo is a very, you know, like the character himself is is serious in as much as he is dedicated, committed, and legit excellent at his job. Mm-hmm. But and largely as a way to fuck with people, he presents as a little bit bumbling, a little bit uh, incompetent, a little bit silly and stuff. And so it, it creates this great comedic effect that uh, is juxtaposed with the, the serious crime elements of the show. And so knowing that Columbo was a bit of a, a reference point or was one of the reference points, I kept thinking about how Idris Elba is a very seems like a very serious person person um idris elba almost never gets to be funny like i can't think of now he gets to be very charming he gets to be charismatic um in some exchanges with other characters in in different uh, roles he's played he gets to generate a moment or be half of a moment that is very funny but even in those moments a lot of the humor is predicated on how serious he is you know yeah and so what i would love to see is a project where Idris Elba can just cut loose as shit and be ridiculous over the top, like Idris Elba doing Jim Carrey um, in something <laughs> is yeah. what I want. Like what I want, like they've been talking about, because um, it took them a, a few years, I think, to come back and do a Luther season five, which was only, I think, as of uh, the recording of this podcast episode, only about a year ago, I think that they did the most recent season. And I think they are still talking about wanting to come back and do a feature film. So how about do a feature film where you just like it's a super high concept, like we're just going to go for broke really, really hard. It's like Luther meets um, an alternate, like a bizarro Luther from <laughs> another another dimension. Like Uth, his name is Uthler. Um, and it's, 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 it's Idris Elba. It's Idris Elba basically playing the antithesis. He's everything John Luther isn't. So like he's he's uh, very earnest and he's very light and he's very happy. But he's also like in all the ways that Luther is sort of pres- precise and exacting he's just sort of goofy and all he's like the jar jar binks it's basically like idris elba as jim carrey as jar jar binks and so it's the two of them there will be a scene it'll be considered a classic in 10 years there'll be just like a seven minute scene of the two of them in a car as they're like driving from one location to another it's luther just looking real angry and stuff just being like, oh, this is fucking bollocks, in it? While uh, Uthler is in the is in the passenger seat, like, hey, I'm Uthler. Hey, we're gonna solve some crime, and it's basically like two hours of that. And it's it's just you just rehash, you just rehash the like time tested buddy cop formula where like the two partners hate each other at the beginning, and then at the end, you know, they're they're like the best of friends, and like he's like, you know, oi, Uthler, you gotta go back to your own dimension and in it, and and Uther's like, you know, I, I think I'm gonna stick around for a while, and then they kind of laugh and they're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. and and you know, then the movie makes a ton of fucking money, and it's they they do like mm. three more. I hate this, but I, to your point, <laughs> I think yes, the closest he's gotten would probably be in um, Hobbs and Shaw to like a big goofy 
character where he could be like, where he's like, oh, Black Superman. Uh, Yeah. But (laughs) that thing that you just pitched, just burn it. No, but here's the thing. You would see it. Mm -hmm. You would see it. And yes, okay, we can all take for granted ahead of time that we would never want to discuss it again. But I do think there would be some value in having seen it the once. <laughs> it'll be like, honestly, it'll be like most of the movies Lars von Trier has made. I, I've watched them. I'm impressed by them. I There are things in them that to one degree or another I feel I can recommend. But once you have seen them, it is likely that you will not want to revisit or talk about them again. All right. I get that comparison. I mean, but that's also your argument for everything that most people won't like is you're like, <laughs> I'm sure there will be pieces of it that are worth your time. Uh, but you know, it's worth the experience. And you're like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I figure that the idea I just pitched will be rejected by the masses. Certainly. But I guarantee you there are like eight or nine people that would unironically, earnestly love it with a passion. Definitely a cult classic. <laughs> They'd be like, uh, you know, I didn't think there was any future in the arts for me, but I saw that and I was like, this counts. Oh, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> So I think we are running low on time. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? My big one just is that I'm, I'm glad that I revisited season one. And yeah, like I think I, I said earlier in this conversation, I'm just going to go ahead and watch the remainder of the show. Uh, there's 20 episodes total. And yeah, I think they do a really great job. I also think that you run the risk when you format your seasons this way, which is to say you have some case of the week material, but you also have... Um, an ongoing serialized narrative that, you know, you're, you're sprinkling in elements of in the background of the episodes that aren't focusing on it primarily. And then, you know, you, you bookend your season with, let's call them like mythology heavy episodes. You run the risk potentially of having kind of like case of the week episodes that feel like filler that you're waiting to get through so that you can get back to the good stuff. And I feel like this series sidesteps that dilemma completely. I think there are a couple of factors that contribute to them being able to do so. One, of course, is that their seasons are a lot shorter than the average uh, procedural that Americans are used to. You know, a lot of those shows still run 20 something episode seasons. But the way they handle each individual case is very compelling. None of it feels like, okay, you know, uh, this week Luther's doing another cop thing. It actually feels like they're crafting these very intricate scenarios, scenarios that feel unique, scenarios that enable Luther to solve crimes in a way that does reveal character and reveal his relationships with the other characters, different facets of of those relationships as well. So I think they did a really really impressive job balancing those aspects and stuff. So like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they continue to strike that balance in the upcoming seasons. But yeah, it's not a, it's not a long show and also not for nothing. Idris Elba is one of the most compelling people to watch, you know, like if the rest of the show was, well, we got real creatively ambitious up top and we don't really have any more ideas. So here's Luther in a cafe reading a newspaper for 14 more hours. I'd be like, yeah, fuck it. All right. I'll watch that. <laughs> so, all right. So but like, uh, what about you? You got, a, you got a nice little bow you want to tie this all up with? Uh, I'm more of a straight tie man. If you, if I'm honest. Oh yeah. Fair. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pull a half Windsor real quick. I agree. I think I also may end up finishing this at my leisure or if i get bored one day i could probably finish it over the course of like day and a half maybe and that is one of the biggest 
one of the biggest boons that the BBC has is that they know how to essentially create a story that is exactly as long as it needs to be. They're not confined to like a 22, uh, 22 episode season, which I think is to the benefit of shows like this, where you can just tell a short consolidated story. And I think that people should check it out. Like, I think it's a, a really, as you were saying, super compelling characters. Idris Elba kills it the whole time. The only thing I would say is I hope that they fix the way that they do his hair season two and on, because you could tell his hairdresser was not black. And they were just like, oh, we'll do it. We'll slick it back. And it's like, that's not how black hair works. So I will keep you guys posted if they do fix his <laughs> hair. Um, and now that I've said something, you probably won't be able to unnotice it. You're welcome. But uh, yeah, I think that's it. And so I hope that you guys enjoyed the show. I hope that you've been enjoying the monthly theme that we've been doing. It's been really fun for us. Lex, if someone wanted to talk to you more about Luther or about black people hair or uh, Columbo, where can they find you? Oh, man. That's a, 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 what I want to do is have somebody approach me uh, integrating all of those things into one conversation. Give me one thesis statement that hits all of them. Um, and you can do that. I guess at Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. And also I do another podcast. Did you know if you didn't now you will, uh, it's called friends with benefits. And I do it with my partner, Marianne Ramish. We take a look at the massive pop culture juggernaut. That is the television series friends now streaming on HBO max. You can watch along with us. And uh, Marianne is a big fan of this show. I am not uh, at all a big fan of this show. And so we're breaking the entire thing down episode by episode from both a fan perspective and a critical perspective. I tell you what, I'm definitely having a better time talking about the show than I am watching it. Please come talk about it with us. The show is called Friends with Benefits. You can find that wherever you find your podcast. And Tari J, where, uh, if people want to talk to you about the sort of collage they made of photoshopped Peter Falk Columbo with black people hair, where can they do that? Ooh, you can find me on Twitter, baby. Send me all them collages. Oh, yeah. I hope you become a collage graduate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can find me at Tari J, T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. But most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Uh, and we will keep you posted on upcoming shows and, and any cool announcements or any, like, fun stuff we're watching. So make sure to keep track of us there. Until then, this has been the retrospective that is introspective. And now you have a new perspective. Yeah, I'm Oofler. Oofler, Oofler, knock it off. I'm a count to three.